2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Inflation frustration. The latest read comes in hotter than expected. Just as stocks looked ready to rally. So what does it mean for your money now? We debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Rob Siege and Steve Weiss and Shannon Sakosha. Let's check the markets. Carl just said pretty decent turnaround uh, for the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq, which are all positive now. 355 is the yield on the 10 year note. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, obviously, looking ahead to next week with the CPI and the Fed meeting. We'll get to that along with J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic. He is coming up as well, and we can't wait for that interview. First, though, a new at noon exclusive. And new details now about third point stake in bath and body works which is now more than six percent and what that fund hopes to do there i spoke with daniel Lowe by phone earlier he told me third point has several issues with that company from its execution to its shareholder communications to its capital allocation strategy for example loeb pointed to the fact that bath and body works did a share repurchase when the stock price was significantly higher than where it is now it is down 43% over the past year. Now, Mr. Loeb also pointed to what he called governance issues, taking specific aim at an $18 million stock grant the chairman of the board received for, in part, taking on the role of interim CEO. He told me that pay seems excessive. Loeb did make it clear that Third Point would like representation on the board, said it was too soon to know exactly how many seats he wanted because he'd yet to even speak with the company's CEO, Gina Boswell, who just assumed that role about a week ago. He did tell me he made an attempt to reach the C-suite, but was politely rebuffed and later got an email saying there would be no communications with shareholders until fourth quarter earnings are released. He told me Bath and Body Works is not a mismanaged company, but that it can be a lot better. Our hope, he said, is that the new CEO can execute a plan. He pointed to the fact that their digital strategy is improving and said there are a lot of things that can drive growth, the biggest thing global. We see a ton of runway and potential there, he said, Uh, "It's a complete disconnect that the company trades at 10 times forecast earnings. I asked him what multiple then makes sense. He said, Alta, for example, trades at 19 times. He said, that's too high, but conservatively, a company like this should trade at 15 times, generates a ton of cash and should be able to drive double digit earnings growth. He did say he is willing and able to wage a proxy fight if necessary and that he thought it would be easy to win. He said it wasn't his preference, of course, but he'd like to give the CEO a chance, try to work with the board, which Loeb said does have some talented people on it. Bath and Body Works did give a statement to CNBC, quote, we value the view of our shareholders. We'll continue to make decisions and take actions that we believe are in the best interests of the company and our shareholders, but it's certainly some interesting news that was circulating. We'll follow the story. He is about as active as they come. And Weiss, a quick comment from you before we move to the markets. He's about as successful as activists have been as well.
3: And, and a phenomenal investor, even when he's not an activist investor. But this is uh, definitely a, a kinder, gentler Dan Loeb. Usually it's uh, it's more aggressive. And it, this was a biased, you know just extremely positive and saying, hey, you know, it's going to be a great story anyway. So uh, it shouldn't be at 10 times earnings. Uh, it is a quality company. It does have their niche and identify with that niche. And that's very important in terms of building a global brand. Uh, it is egregious that the interim CEO took out that kind of comp, which uh, I'd, I'd vote for Dan to be on the board because clearly, while there, he points out some talented people, Clearly, they're not independent if they're going to give the yeah. uh, CEO that kind of that you, kind of confidence. You That's see, ridiculous. the stock.
2: Uh, we could show it again. You, you did see that there's the stock's moving a little bit higher uh, here, perhaps on you know not only the presence of Lowe but his reputation uh, in in this business. And uh, he did make it clear. I mean, he's he has to have some time to you know let's let me speak to the C-suite. Let me figure out what the situation is here before I decide what my next move is. Sure, I could end up waging a proxy fight and I think I could win. Uh, He may he left that no doubt in his mind that that he could if he had to. uh, But I don't think we're we're near that point quite yet. So we'll see. Uh, But let's move. Let's talk about the market, because that is a big story today as well. We were working on the worst week for the Dow in some 10 weeks. Uh, Shannon, the picture now looks a little different than it did after PPI. that's a pretty interesting story I'm wondering what your take on that is in terms of where you think we are in our ability to put together a rally over the next few weeks
0: well I think that we've we've really pulled ahead a lot of the the rally that we've experienced in October and November and I think that for many people sort of looking ahead to the next couple of weeks I, what we're seeing is just a significant amount of repositioning a reset and reallocate if you will in terms of um, what's already been achieved if you will uh, in the past two months from an equity perspective and where does we go from here I think today's number is just indicative, I think, of the narrative that we've been struggling to invest against over the net, over the last three or four months, and that there are going to be fits and starts as it relates to economic data. Um, inflation is not going to be solved in a straight line. It wasn't created in a straight line, the, the issues that we have today. And so I think one of the things is, is just to take each of these data points and really look at it in terms of what the trend is. And I think the trend does continue to improve. But I would say a catalyst for continued gains coming into the end of the year would have been an, a remarkable PPI and CPI. and and coming up to next week, a CPI improvement. Um, And we probably don't see that, given what we saw in the PPI today. So I would say we're probably going to to knock around here um, on a pretty flat line over the course of the next couple of weeks. As you know, Scott, volume's gonna fall off significantly you know, after the 20th or so. And I think that right now we're seeing a lot of institutional investors in particular getting themselves set for the end of the year and also looking forward to the first quarter, which could be another round of significant volatility.
2: So, Jason, you know, FundStrat's Mark Newton and some have been pointing, like Josh did yesterday, to the respect that the technicals should be given. And maybe today's reversal is a, is a signal in some respects of that, Mark Newton says, and this, by the way, this was put out last night before the PPI came out today. So let's put it into context here. The short-term pullback, he said this week, for U.S. stocks looks complete. Should be the beginning of a bounce, which likely carries into early next week ahead of CPI and the FOMC. Now, I don't know if you know you think PPI uh, reverses what he thought could happen, but maybe this price action in the market up till 12:06 and 30 seconds says something otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible, Scott. Obviously, if, if we were watching the futures market earlier, um, you know, this morning and seeing them run and then when we saw the report of the PPI numbers and then we saw them pull back and now we're positive on the day. I think, you know, as I look at the PPI numbers as a as an example, um, they were warm, they were hot, uh, but they weren't blazing hot. I mean, trade uh you know, transportation costs have come down, energy costs have come down some. It's not always a read through into CPI, what we'll see next week. You know, and then we obviously, to your point, have, have a Fed meeting, and, and the commentary will be important. I think, you know, there likely won't be anything said differently uh, than, than Powell has, has said over the last couple months. But I, I do think if we, if we see a lighter number, we, we've seen the market reaction. You know, so I, I could see here what, what Newton is describing to uh, in terms of the a, a rally into year end. I think that's quite possible, um, but we'll have to see. Time will tell. I think the next couple of days will be very important to see how the market reacts.
2: Rob, what do you make of the reversal today? You know, you had a, a decent uh, tape yesterday. You've had, you know, pretty decent breadth in the market uh, under the surface from the mid-October lows. You know, it's not all bad, and maybe it is better than it looks. And today is interesting, the, the price action alone.
4: Yeah I think that's all positioning to be honest with you Uh, there's a tug of war between positioning and deteriorating fundamentals uh, you know across a number of things what I would tell you is I had lunch with Lee Cooperman yesterday Scott and he's cautious like we are. And the one thing he pointed to is a positive catalyzer is that everybody's negative. I think everybody on this show uh, today, all oh, your traders have slightly cautious, uh, cautious outlooks. And, you know, we have to keep in mind that the Fed's going to keep at it until the job's done. And that's not Fully appreciated by the markets, and that's because inflation is stubbornly high, and the terminal rate is likely going to be higher than the five percent that's priced into the markets. And so, what we think is that sometime in 23, we're data dependent, like the Fed, but the lows are going to get retested. Uh, the timing of that is uncertain, and you know the reason we have caps to the upsides on these these optimistic forecasts is you know that earnings are going to be in a tough position next year just look you have many people now cutting their earnings let's just assume earnings stayed flat right now markets are pricing six percent earnings worth if they stay flat we're in an eighteen and a half times earnings environment in a market where the feds gonna likely have to stay engaged if you go down from there and earnings actually get cut which many pundits are now starting to embrace that idea, then we're trading even more expensive. So valuations act as a cap mm-hmm. on these markets. And I think investors have to pay attention to not get too seduced by trading around positioning.
2: You know, let's bring in our halftime headliner now for more on all of this Marco Kalanovic. He's the global chief global market strategist and the global co-head of research at J.P. Morgan. He's uh, on the phone. Marco, welcome back. It's great to get your perspective here uh, before this year ends.
5: Thank you. Thank you, Scott.
2: You know, what's really struck me, I think, uh, from you specifically, uh, is the way that your tune has somewhat changed uh, in in the recent weeks. Mm -hmm. You were more positive than most uh, until recently, where it's sort of I feel like you saw the writing on the wall. Uh, about where we are. Can you just give us a, a take on where you are today and then we'll get into more specifically of what your notes suggest could be ahead of us?
5: Absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, we did turn more uh, more negative, you know, and basically also what you mentioned, we were positive for most of the year. You know, the the Fed fund terminal rate was this summer around 3%, you know. After the Jackson Hole and in September, this Fed fund terminal rate moved from 3 to 4 to 5, you know. Like So between 3 and 5, there is a big difference, you know, uh, what it implies for multiple, meaning that it does imply lower multiple, you know. And at the top of that, Uh, earnings expectations are coming down. You know, we started also optimistic year at like 240, you know, then move it down to 225. And now we think that um, next year it might actually go into sort of low 200s, you know. So you have a lower EPS and you have a higher terminal Fed fund rates, meaning lower multiple most likely, you know. So uh, that, you know, can support sort of our old price target, you know. And if you look at the market last last month, you know, markets moving higher and higher and We are at this point quite actually nervous that we would see the downside.
2: You still have a reasonably, I think it's fair to say, aggressive multiple on the market, given where we are now, what may lie ahead, even though earnings projections, including yours, are at 205 uh, (laughs) 20 times. That's that's not too aggressive.
5: No, so, so, so we do think that the next year we'll have a sort of two parts. You know, in the first part, we think actually market will go lower, we'll retest the bottom. You know, the question is how low and exactly when. So we think sort of at least the previous low, but most likely lower. And we think it happens earlier in the year, probably in the first quarter or maybe early in the second quarter. But after that, we think that Fed will basically fold. We think that Fed will have to change it tune completely and then market is going to start basically pricing, interest rates going lower quite quickly, and then multiple can re-rate. So basically, when our price target for the next year, we put it pretty high, I mean, 4,200 for low EPS of 205, as you mentioned, we are assuming that Fed will do actually proper uh, proper pivot and then sort of 2024 will look a lot better. And at the end of next year, market is going to be looking at 24 EPS and the Fed, which we think will sort of fold completely by then. If they do
2: fold completely by then, to use your words, it will likely be because the economy has forced their hand. I think mm-hmm. we can assume that that would be the way it would all go down. And you're suggestive of the fact that the market would look past the near term ramifications of that because the economy would be so weak and it would focus more on the pivot itself and the ability to look out, say, six, nine, 12 months about what would be on the other side. Is is that fair?
5: that's that's fair so a little bit like 2020 you know things got very ugly fundamentally but sort of fed kind of came out in full force and then market was looking forward so so that's why we think of it's going to be two parts first part of the year we think it's going to be pretty ugly but that's going to sort of uh, most likely force force the hand of the fed and then we can sort of turn the page and, and start looking at 24 really
2: when you say pretty ugly you look for the lows to be retested and perhaps broken through
5: We we do think that probably they would get broken through, you know, because, again, EPS is lower. multiples should be lower. So no reason why we would magically stop at the at the at the the previous low this year.
2: How how low do you think we might go if the low for the S&P was thirty four ninety one? What kind of number do you have in your head?
5: We don't have a very strong conviction, but I wouldn't be surprised, like sort of 32, 3300. But again, it's not it's 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 not official forecast. I wouldn't be surprised we go in a low three thousands.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm also looking at part of your notes here where you suggest we are effectively I'm quoting now looking for a category one economic hurricane. All of this is predicated that it doesn't become a category three or, or four, of course.
5: That, that's correct. I mean, look, one can think of a worse scenarios, but I do think Fed will, Fed will, Fed will and inflation is going to fall and, and Fed will stop in, step in probably forcefully to, to prevent the category three or four. You know, so that's that's a sort of hope.
2: You know, one issue that the market has certainly of late is the underperformance of tech and how mm-hmm. bad that's been. Do you see it reversing at some point next year to reach a, a better target for stocks? or wh- What would you urge people to do in some of the most heavily owned names that they have in their portfolios, the Apples of the world, the Microsofts, the Mega Caps, and some of the others, the NVIDIAs, etc.?
5: Well, so, so short-term, we are negative, you know. So, so look, if, you're, if your time horizon is the next year and you're not actively trading, you know, you may just kind of weather the storm. But in reality, if you do want to make some active decision, we would lighten up now, turn more defensive, you know, put more money into bonds, you know, within equities, probably more defensive bond-like sectors. Tech is not yet there. I mean, tech can, can, uh, you know, earnings can go down and multiple can go down. So it's not it's not a place to hide, really.
2: Maybe the most, you know, interesting sort of tactical view you have is to make a tactical short of energy, (laughs) which would be on the other side of the boat that many have decided to climb in on. Um, I know you like it longer term, of course, but why now go tactically short?
5: So, so long-term, we like it, and, 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 and we have been bulls, probably the most prominent energy bulls for the last two years, You know, probably uh, 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 too many times sort of stress how one should own the energy. So we are long-term bulls as well. But, again, our short-term market view is negative. And if you look at the sort of energy, energy is sort of close to highs. Oil has given up all the returns. Oil is actually the front-bound WTI is down for the year. You know? So there is a very big disconnect. I am just a little bit nervous if the market goes lower sort of that gap between oil and energy stock and close pretty rapidly. You know, And it happened a few times. So just sort of looking, it happened four or five times over the last two years. I would basically kind of turn negative now when the energy pulls back. And if it pulls back, I would sort of buy it aggressively because we still think we are in a sort of commodity super cycle. Energy will sort of be leading sector again. But it could have pretty ugly uh, catch up down to the oil if the market goes down. I'm
2: looking at it. You know, it's just barely above 70 bucks, right? It's 7160 Mm -hmm. and falling uh, intraday as we're having this conversation. Does it end up with a six handle on it? Does it go, you know, does it threaten even below that?
5: Could could go a little bit lower, although all should be sort of floored somewhere here. I mean, the government will be buying for the SPR. You know, again, like we are lower than the whole mess of this year started. You know, like we're down for the year. So so it, it, it doesn't feel that it can go much lower. You know, it can go a little bit lower, but energy stocks are near high, so they can go actually quite a bit lower. Yeah.
2: Does anything about today's PPI change the way you're thinking about what might happen next week with either CPI or the Fed?
5: So the, the PPI today, you know, I think the first market reaction was the right reaction. You know, it's a hotter number. That's not good, you know, like because if the CPI come in similarly, you know, Fed's message is going to be more hawkish, you know, than what people like to hear or like to believe. Um, so I think it's I think the first reaction of market was was right. You know, market creeped up, as you mentioned earlier. So there is definitely resilience. But, you know, I would use it as an opportunity to lighten up.
6: Really.
2: Wow. So you you would sell. <laughs> on any pops in stocks from from you know here forward let's say for the better part of you know recent weeks ahead
5: that that, that is our view i mean and, and and again we might be wrong market may move up the question is really okay how much can market go up you know i think market can maybe go up five percent best case scenario but if it goes down it can go down 15 on 20 percent so i think sort of upside versus downside is not that great
2: wow okay the risk reward is is what you're speaking about i so very much appreciate your time you have a good end of year uh, holidays and we'll see you on the other side uh i'm i'm pretty sure of that thank you very much all uh, right that's marco Kolonovic, jp morgan all right weiss let's kick this around okay <clears throat> first reaction was the right one by the market today so let's let's talk about the here and now uh could still get five percent up but 15 to 20 down risk reward still not good for the people who are watching us right now you agree
3: that's camp I've been in for the entire year, and my downside is at least 3,200 in the market. If you, I'm at 200, uh, been there for a while, and, and you can't put a fine point of numbers, right? Yeah, earnings. And uh, look, I mean, the historical multiple on the market is 14 to 15 times, so we should be there. Uh, so that gets you to about 3,000. But there's a sensational appetite, as we're seeing today, in front of the Fed, in front of CPI, for, the, for people coming to the market. So what are you focusing on is the question. Are you focusing on each data point and you're not looking at the bigger picture? Because the bigger picture is what the Fed is doing and the economy's slowing. We heard that loud and clear at the round table this week with all the bank CEOs. So it's inescapable. So if you want to play these individual data points and trade the market based upon those, yeah. good luck to you, but you're generally an inexperienced investor or you're blind to what's happened in prior cycles. Okay. So yes, so we go down.
2: I think one of the most difficult questions to answer, and I'm going to throw it to you, is and it's based on Marco's view and many strategists' view. Are you investing for the next 6 months or the 6 months that follow those 6 months because the environment for stocks as he suggested could be very different when you question him on the 20 multiple it's like well obviously the next 6 months are not going to justify the 20 multiple but you're going to have enough of a comeback mid year because of a fed pivot and the 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 narrative around stocks is just going to get better that the whole landscape's going to improve what are you supposed to do if you listen to those comments? Think about the next six or the six after.
0: Well, I mean, I'd, I'd say we're looking at the next twelve after, or eighteen after, or twenty-four after. Well, then you um, are,
2: must be buying a lot of stocks today. Then.
0: So, so how we're positioned though? It, so, there's another. There's you're you're talking about it in terms of in or out of stocks, and I think with the other the other issue here or the potential change that we're seeing in the marketplace is that bonds are an alternative now cash is an alternative now and so what i would say i would caution people that it doesn't have to be a binary decision about in or out of equities coming into the next six weeks 12 weeks three months it's actually okay to put some of that in perhaps a more conservative bucket to allow you to be more opportunistic In that first part of next year in order to take opportunities. So what we're doing is we're looking at our current equity exposure and we're trying to improve enhance that equity exposure. However we're not significantly adding to our equity exposure because at this point there's still a lot of uncertainty coming up in the first quarter and I go back to how I felt in January of 2016 and knowing that China was a huge question still remains a huge question in this market. So I would say the difference in today versus a year and a half ago is that you can be paying to be conservative, but it, you should be looking for those opportunities in the next six months to set yourself up for the next year, two years, three years.
2: OK, uh, we take a look at the market. Uh, Dow gone negative. Uh, so, again, we've had a, an interesting session already uh, just a few hours into it. So there's a Dow down about 25. S&P is barely hanging on positive. NASDAQ is still by a third of a percent. That's good for about 35, and again, 355 is the yield on the 10-year note. Straight ahead, our calls of the day. Two bullish notes on one of the big streaming stocks. that's popping today. The committee is also making moves in that space that we need to tell you about. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its
6: promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers,
2: We're back today. Take a look at shares of Netflix up better than 5%. Why? Because there was not one but two bullish calls on that stock today. Maybe the most eye-opening one, overweight from equal weight at Wells Fargo. The price target gets bumped by 100 bucks to $400. That's 28% from here. You see it's having a nice day, but still, what a difference a uh, few months have made. For this name also named the top 2023 idea at Cowen reiterated outperform 405 the target they were already at 340. uh so that's that's interesting too it's leading the s p 500 shannon sakosha you sold disney
0: we did. that plays
2: into this story
0: it does it does why so, did you
2: sell disney and when uh and couple, at what price
0: a couple of days ago we sold <laughs> disney um so I think one of the challenges, so we've owned Disney for a long time, but we actually, own, we've owned it since it paid a dividend and was generating significant free cash flow. So sort of pre Disney plus and with the content library that we had, they had, we weren't naive enough to think that they weren't going to have to spend on content. But I think the challenge is now is that there's really no near term or midterm road to profitability for Disney plus. Right. And with the execution Up in the air from a management perspective at 22 times. I just look at the risk-reward trade-off here and think, you know what? I can be being paid in other things in my portfolio to wait for Disney to figure out how they execute. There's no doubt that the global brand has a ton of value and that that can continue to be monetized and unleashed. But at this point in time, there's still too much overhang. We've got two years, and now it's going to be talking about succession for the next 24 months for a company that needs to execute right now. And so that's why we moved out of, but we added to Netflix earlier. You know, a couple months months ago, and um, we've held that for a long time. And I think that just from a streaming perspective, they these two are likely to continue to be the big winners longer term. I just think the near term for Disney is just too uncertain.
2: You you also bought more of uh, the mothership, Comcast. Just want to want to throw that out there. Uh, obviously, our, our parent. Um, do you feel like the corner's been turned for net, for Netflix now? Right, because, I mean, let's not forget. It was a $700 stock, and we can make a lot about the fact of a stock moving from, you know, the 200s to where it is now, and it's had a great move, and those who bought down low are obviously happy, but it was a $700 stock. Is it back on that journey?
0: I think it's difficult to say. I mean, if, you're, if your cost base is, 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 is such as mine is and it's somewhere in the $200 range, you know, mid-200s, um, you look at that uh, that rise and hopefully you were taking some positioning off the table. But I think the other thing to think about is what is the... Um, I think that what's happening now, Scott, is they're valuing the first mover advantage that Netflix has, has clearly has. And I think they're also looking at it in terms of this is a profitable company now. They're looking at being able to deliver subscri- subscriber ads profitably and be able to land and expand their footprint internationally. So I think this is more an acknowledgement that there was a real advantage to being the first mover in this space, and that they're seeing all of these other streamers try to copy what Netflix is already doing, which gives them that that additional value in the eyes of investors.
2: Okay. Let's throw out another call uh, before we take a break. It's Costco, which is off, obviously on the back of its earnings, named top 2023 picket cow and reiterated outperform 650, which is surprising, uh, Rob, when I read your notes today, you say it's, quote, under under review. Why is Costco for you under review.
4: You know it. it, Listen the tailwinds associated with this company. Are certainly still very strong in terms of customer loyalty the environment getting tougher. But it's just based on price Scott. It's gotten too expensive. And so when we're thinking about what we want to own. Going into a more difficult environment, and the performance that you've seen from the consumer kind of staples areas, this stock has just been um, too expensive.
2: Too expensive. All right. So you sound like a guy who's selling it. What is this under review nonsense?
4: Uh, we have a committee. We run two portfolios. We we, we have a dividend. I mean, income you sound portfolio. like your dog
2: died. Like like you're <laughs> like you're about to break down. <laughs>
4: you know, you, you know, my vote on that committee <laughs> right now. Okay. Well, it's no, that's what I'm trying to, that's what
2: I'm trying to get at. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to yeah, get yeah, at. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush, right? Yeah. Let's not beat around the yeah. bush. People listen to what you guys have to say. You're voting to sell the stock in, in terms of the conversation you have on your committee.
4: Yeah. But, 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 let me tell you this, when you think about how you're positioning, it's about what relative value you find out there. There's tax consequences of selling we've owned this name a long time and so positioning when you're managing money for taxable investors has to be very thoughtful we're in december it's december 9th today when do you want to sell it right what could change what positions could you bring into the portfolio so you can't make a decision in isolation we are not traders we are money managers and when you're a money manager you're positioning relative to what else you could be in and how long you've owned it and what gains you have so you know you can't make these decisions in isolation which is why you have to be thoughtful around
2: it. okay no i appreciate that I, I feel like we got a little more clarity there thank you for that uh, he's Rob. running for political offers clear <laughs> <laughs> uh, next uh the banks are having their worst week since mid-june and one of our investment committee members is making a move in that space as well we're going to reveal it we'll trade it we'll debate it we'll do it next
7: Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Frank Collin. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Russian President Putin leaving open the possibility of future prisoner swaps. The news comes as Brittany Griner returned home from Russia this morning after being held in Russia for nearly 10 months. Putin saying that contact will continue between Russian and American officials and that new exchanges are possible in the future. American citizen Paul Whelan still remains in Russian captivity after his arrest four years ago on espionage charges. The ongoing diplomacy comes as Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues. Senior Biden administration officials now telling NBC News that Russia is providing, quote, unprecedented levels of support to Iran in exchange for weapons to use in Ukraine. Officials say the relationship between the two nations is transforming into a full-fledged defense partnership, which poses a threat to regional safety. And as China continues to loosen COVID restrictions to spur its economy, there are reports of a new wave of COVID cases. While official data shows cases dropping, there are social media reports of closed businesses and lines at hospitals as the country grapples with how to emerge from zero COVID. That's the very latest. Scott, right. back over to you.
2: Right, Frank, appreciate that. That's Frank Collin. Bank stocks under pressure. The ETF that tracks the space is having its worst week since mid-June. There it is. And the other ETF that tracks the space called the XLF, Jason Snipe, just sold. He threw in the towel. Why? I
1: did, Scott, and we we have a fair amount of exposure here. And I think, you know, if if you're talking where we are from a cycle perspective and if you believe we're late cycle, which I do believe, uh, financials, banks, I think, will struggle in that marketplace. So for us, you know, we decided to unload it. It's done well over the last quarter. It's up over 14%. It's only down about 9% uh, year to date. So it's outperformed the market, you know, but going into a slowdown, inverted yield curve, some net interest margin pressure you know, going forward, we thought that it was appropriate to let it go. And still, we're still holding on to our individual names, but, you know, our broad-based exposure, we decided to, to move on
2: from. Yeah. You, uh, you still have Bank of America, BlackRock, Goldman. So I, I hear you, PNC, Weiss. So you're negative. You've been yeah. negative on the market. Negative in general, just making a broad sense. Yeah, exactly. Statement. Like, I don't like your suit either. I, I totally know? hear you. It's all yeah. good. I would expect nothing <laughs> less from you. Yeah. Uh, but yet, but yet, the punchline of all that is that you still own Bank of America and Goldman Sachs. So I you're do. still worried about the economy, and yet you still like these stocks. What's up?
3: Well, when I look at companies, I look at management. So as I mentioned yesterday, it's why I don't own Boeing. However, that's why I do own B of A and Goldman, because I think management's excellent.
2: Moynihan you know? and Solomon, both who, by the way, were you know, pretty cautious, if not somewhat negative this week, yep. talking about you know, where we're at, their businesses, uh, how they might look in uh, the months ahead.
3: Yeah, and look, I do expect it to be tougher for them, particularly Goldman, the stock, because it had such a, such a recovery. But I've got nice gains in there. Uh, I do like them longer term. And uh, why sell them, pay taxes, unless I think they're going to go down appreciably more? I did own the XLF. Uh, Jason has stopped looking over my shoulder uh, because I sold my uh, XLF about a week or so ago uh, because I had enough exposure. I bought the
2: XLF as a trade. But the point you're making is is reducing your exposure is prudent in in your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And
3: as Rob had had said earlier, and I hate to give him credit for anything because he doesn't deserve it, But you know, (laughs) you have to take taxes into consideration and you have to say if you've got a big gain, say, is the stock going to go down this far and in order to compensate me for paying the taxes, and what's the probability that I'm right on picking that point in time? All right. Um, Scott,
4: can I add something to the finances real quick? We gotta go to break. We gotta go to break, Rob. Yeah, go real quick, Rob, real quick. Yeah. So let me just say that of all the sectors, financials have the easiest setup going into next year. Earnings shrank in 22, and it creates a really low bar for 23. So if you can pick some stocks in that space, as Steve has, I think there's a possibility for some significant outperformance, despite how negative these CEOs have been.
2: Yeah, let me remind uh, our viewers, too, uh, one of those CEOs is going to be on the closing bell today. Uh, It's uh, Brian Moynihan, Bank of America. It's the first on CNBC interview. He, of course, the chairman and CEO, and uh, he'll be on a little bit later with Sarah, so don't miss that. Up next, the committee is ready to grade your trade. We'll answer specific questions about a trade you have made. To reach us, send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us as well. At Halftime Report, please use the hashtag #gradeMyTrade. We're getting inundated, which is awesome. Keep them coming. We've got three I think we're grading next. All right, it's time for grade my trade. Please keep them coming as well. All right, Shannon, you get the first one from Stanley Sokowski. Okay, he bought AMD, which you own. That he bought it at fifty nine dollars. Okay, he's up. He's up nineteen percent since he bought it. Grade it. What do you think he should do? Do you like where he bought it? Should he keep it? Take some profits? What do you think?
0: Stanley, you made a great trade. Certainly, uh, I, I bought this a lot higher back in May. Um, but I think you should take a, a little bit of profits off the board. You know, AMD is really benefiting from the fact that they're benefiting from this transition from Intel to AMD in terms of market share. Um, but there are going to be some concerns and considerations to think about as we go into the first quarter, if there's concerns about oversupply and lower demand. So I take a little bit off the table here, but I would certainly hold this longer term because this has a tailwind for it that is a little bit different from some of the other semi-socks.
2: Okay. Seach, you're up next. Neil. Uh, in New Jersey says he bought Eli Lilly at 257 and he's up a lot. Healthcare's done quite well. I know you love the sector. What do you tell mm-hmm. him though, right? If you buy it up 250, if you buy it at 257, let's look at the chart. You see the trade. So he's up. What does he do?
4: So we own it as well Neil so I, I I do think it's a great position I would say the one thing is the downside with Lily is the premium valuation it's trading at thirty six times next year's earnings that's a substantial premium to its uh, its farm peers, but it's got great fundamentals attractive risk return profile you might have to hold it through a little volatility but I think in the end, their focus on diabetes, Alzheimer's, oncology is going to pay dividends. It just you, you know the the growth might have to catch up to the valuation.
2: All right, so we got a more recent one too for you, seats from Bowen Horton. Okay, he bought Blackstone, and he did it on Wednesday, the seventh. Mm-hmm. Okay, just a couple of days ago, at seventy-eight bucks. Stock's been in the news because of the news about their their reit. Right, so he's barely up. We'll, we'll call. He's up one percent. Um, what do you What do you think here? What do you think What do you think about this trade?
4: So, so listen. I think the timing's a little tough. We own the stock, okay? Listen. Anytime you gate something, it's going to create concerns around broader sentiment. Around retail investors. And and let's remember that Blackstone was leading the democratization charge of alternatives. That was part of our our thesis for ownership. And B Read Fees contributed, and B Cred too. 14% 14% of Blackstone's 22 earnings. And so as as assets start to migrate away from them. There's always uh, obviously going to be some earnings headwinds. But our view is that it's still a quality grower. It's trading at a reasonable valuation. I think the long term thesis on uh, in democratization is here. It's happening. You look at every firm out there and they're increasing their weightings to alternatives. And so that flow of funds is gonna be consistent. So in the short run, might be a little challenging. In the long run, I think this is a good name to own.
2: Okay, good stuff. Thank you, everybody. Keep them coming too. Again, send us an email or a tweet, and we will do our best to have your trade graded right here on this program. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Right, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. There he is. What do you think? You know, interesting turnaround in, in the market. I mean, we're still trying to figure out where we want to go, but it certainly looked like it was going to be a lot worse by the time we had this conversation.
8: Yeah. You know, uh, late yesterday when you and I spoke, Scott, I said the PPI report this morning was going to be a little bit of a test of the market's continued sensitivity to every little incremental inflation number. It just seemed as if uh, the PPI typically is not the big one. And there were just where it was hot was was sort of palatable enough in terms of people not thinking it feeds through to CPI directly, but also that it doesn't completely upend the idea of, you know, decelerating inflation on its own. Obviously, how the Fed metabolizes the new information matters a lot more. Um, You know, we're down a little bit for the week. It still seems as if uh, the market is uh, clearly caught between the two big known threats, and it's much more worried about growth risks at the moment than it is uh, about every uh, inflation print. So look, we're trading right now, at the S&P, I keep pointing out how steady it's been uh, over longer spans of time, basically where we were a month ago, where we were seven months ago. And I think the big question going into the rest of the year and into next year is, does that mean that it's resilient and it's already kind of priced in uh, some rough stuff or that uh, there's still some complacency out there uh, and the surprises will be to the downside?
2: Well, CPI matters a lot more, I guess, now.
8: Yeah. Well, it certainly does, and it, you know it's going to hit when the Fed's already meeting in this, you know, the two-day meeting. So um, that's going to matter a lot. Um, I, I guess there's always a prospect that the market has kind of overinterpreted Powell's perceived shift uh, toward handicapping a pause. But uh, right now, I do think, as I say, the, the the peak Fed funds rate didn't trade much higher today on that uh, wholesale inflation number. So maybe, uh, you know, the market's kind of already at the destination we're headed to.
2: Yeah, interesting day. We'll see how it shapes up over the next uh, few hours when we see it for your last word. That's Mike Santoli. Thanks. All right, coming up, we have trades on the key earnings to watch next week. There they are on the board. uh, um, Oracle among them and Adobe too. We're back right after this on The Half. There you go. There's the earnings next week, right? I mean, you've still got important earnings coming in, Shan, like Oracle on Monday.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think they they mentioned this earlier in Tech Check. I mean, I think this is small and medium-sized businesses, enterprise spend from those businesses transitions to the cloud. So this could be incredibly important to see what is, if there are potentially some signs on the horizon that enterprise spending is slowing. And so um, this is a name we added in June. We continue to diversify on the tech side. And this is, you know, but I do do think this is an important report.
2: It's interesting because, you know, that's one area that's been holding up is enterprise. Even when you talk to and hear from CEOs, they don't necessarily suggest that things are getting so cloudy that that's drying up. Uh, you know, you got Adobe, which you own uh, as well, which is out next week, too.
0: Yeah, digital content. I mean, they're they're clearly the leader here, but they're um, they're digesting a a still lofty valuation relative to the market. The fact that they're also digesting a very uh, expensive acquisition um, and the fact that they pulled forward a lot of that demand in the in the pandemic. So I I think there's going to be some challenges for the stock over the next couple of quarters.
2: Accenture seat. You actually own that. And they do report next week, too. Yeah I think you got to watch you know the
4: impact of currency headwinds softing demand but the trends in bookings at Accenture continue to be solid hopefully they stay that way. Um, companies are prioritizing cost cutting outsourcing and you know looking to bro- boost profitability so um, you're really going to look at that in the numbers it's 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 a slightly expensive stock so you know hopefully they deliver uh, trades at 24 times forward PE and you uh, you know long run though they've had high uh, high uh, returns on invested capital, so it's a good name to
2: you you have owned it as well shan right Accenture
0: yeah we yeah we do actually own it and and the problem here is that you know if you think about cost cutting at the enterprise level, um, they're going to look you know directly at consultants uh, in terms of being able to quickly cut costs in that area. Um, the good thing about Accenture is they've really focused on enterprise contracts, and I think that those tend to be a little bit stickier than sort of the project based contracts
3: there has been a slowing enterprise though, even though you saw you know, Amazon, AWS grow, you saw Microsoft grow uh, still, you know, in the mid-30s, it's slowed down a little bit. And in Europe, there's basically a freeze on decisions. So I wouldn't say hasn't slowed down, and I expect to slow down. Not like but dramatically. No, not,
7: not dramatically.
0: Dramatically. dramatically. You're absolutely
3: right. You're but absolutely there's right. there's been
0: prioritization. I mean, look at Workday, you know, human resource management. Right. They had a great report. I, I think companies are prioritizing their enterprise spend. I don't think they're spending it on everything right.
2: at this okay. point. Uh, quick break. Final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast?
0: What are you
3: waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast
2: now. All right. Let's do final trades. Jason Snipe, why don't you start us off? What do you like and why?
1: Yeah, I like AutoZone here. Free cash flow yield of above 5%. Had a really nice print earlier this week, and the commercial business continues to grow. I like it.
2: Okay, Rob Seachin, how about you?
4: I think you got to take advantage of this sell-off in energy and go to a name that we've owned all year and still love, EOG.
2: It's interesting you say that in light of what Kalanovic, to bring it full circle, told us at the top of the show, right? That tactically, it's maybe not a bad idea to be short, short some of these things here, and then, you know, things will turn around. What's your, what's your take on what he said about that?
4: I, uh, listen, what I would say is you got to take advantage of these pullbacks. Of course, we ran too far too fast. You had a rally of 37% from September through early November. But look at the price move in the last month and the magnitude of it. I would argue that this is a company that you can buy that is trading at seven times next 12 months earnings, 6% free cash flow, 18% dividend growth. It's, it's, it's a home run.
2: Okay. Uh, Shan, what's your final?
0: I'm actually going to take the other side of Rob's view from earlier and say Costco. Um, right. You know, I think if you look at two things that Costco does really well is inventory management and being able to create value through having a, a warehouse. Okay. So, right. I mean, I think that's important. Rivian,
3: name? I'm shorted. I think everybody should be short. They're going to lose right. 17 bucks this year. $25 billion mark cap. Going down. Right. You see the clock? It says
2: 13.001.0203. The exchange is, exchange is now. The exchange is now.